Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. If you got a copy of the Word, open it up to the book of Genesis. Wow, Pastor. Digging way back in the Old Testament today. We're going to look at uh, verse 17 down through verse 21. I'll read that a little later in your hearing. And I'm going to share with you a couple of other passages today as well. Our series that we're in currently, I've entitled TNT, or Surviving the Blast. And what I'm after is to encourage you a bit in those moments when the trials, uh, the tests, the tribulations just cause life to, to blow up on you. And we learned a bit of, last week about trials. We learned that they are promised. They are coming. It's not an if. It's just a when. They're on the way. They're promised in your life. We learned that they're prolific. I have learned from my own experience that it's not that I'm going to face one trial or one trial at a time. It seems that they're on every hand's turn all the time, and I'm dealing with something every minute of every hour of every day. We learned also that they were pointed that these trials are aimed at your faith, that it really isn't about anything else in your life except what you believe about God. And if the enemy can somehow use anything to get you to a place where you begin to doubt the Lord, man, he has you right where he wants you. We've learned also that trials are purposeful, and I want you to get this. I told you that God uses tests and trials in the life of his children to produce a planned result. That God uses the things that you're going through. You may not understand them. You may not be able to see where you're headed. But God knows. And He's using those things to get you to a, a specific place for a specific purpose. To bring Him glory and to bring much good into your life. Doesn't Romans teach us that, that all things work together for our good? Those that love Him, those that are called according to His purpose, it teaches us clearly that everything in life works together for our good. So here's our question that we're hoping to answer in these next few weeks a little bit, not fully. I warned you that if you were expecting me to explain every life situation that you've ever undergone, you were sadly mistaken. And if you were expecting me to point out the symbolisms and the implications and everything that's in your life, I'm just not capable of that. But we do have some guidance in the Word that pulls back the, the veil for us a little bit and answers that question. What is it that these trials accomplish? What is it that God is up to? What are some of those good things, Pastor, that come about as a result of, of trials and tests? Today we're going to consider one great result of trials and tests in our lives. One clear purpose and truth from the Word and certainly from our experience. And here it is. God uses trials and tests in your life, and He uses them to direct His children. One great thing that God does through trials, tests, tribulation in your life is He uses those circumstances, and He uses those situations to direct your steps. Man, I think about uh, uh, the words in Proverbs say this, uh, 16.9. That's just a scripture reference. You guys in the back don't have to go there. Proverbs 16.9 says this, A man's heart, a man thinks he knows which way to go and lays his plans in his heart, but the Lord directs his path. I love Psalm 37, 23. It reads this way, and it's a very familiar passage. The steps of a good and godly man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in that way that God leads him in. And the indication of Scripture is that God does order our steps, and somewhere in life, all of us need a bit of direction. 
All of us have been lost and wandering from time to time, and we need a bit of direction. I remember on one occasion years ago, before we had any kids, it might have been the first convention. By the way, I'm headed up there this week. Pray for us as we travel uh, today to the, to the national convention. The first one I really have a, a memory of going to uh, with my wife and I and my mom and my dad. We didn't have any kids. It was in New Orleans, Louisiana. We drove all the way down there. And man, how many of y'all ever been to New Orleans in here? Anybody ever been there? Man, New Orleans is a, is a different kind of town. We'll just say that. It's a different kind of town. It's different in every way, every shape, and every form from Fairview, North Carolina. And man, one of the great differences I spotted right away was all the highways are elevated. All the interstates are up. There are bridges just running in and, and through and, and throughout the city. And, and when you want to go downtown, you've got to get off the interstate and you function down in and below all those bridges in that realm down there. The convention in this day was in the Superdome. So we made our way down to the New Orleans Superdome, went in, registered, did all our things on that Monday, looked around, got everything ready uh, for that evening and, and the next couple of days to know where we were going and what we were doing. We went back out, got in our car to head back to the hotel. My dad's driving, and man, we came out of the Superdome, saw the exit we thought we were supposed to, to get on, and it's not an exit down, it's an exit up. So we went up the ramp, merged onto the interstate, wasn't very far till we had to merge to the right, and you know what we did? We went right back down into the city, right off the interstate, right back down to those streets, and we went around the Superdome yet again. We came back to the place where we thought we were supposed to get on the interstate, and we turned right and we went up the ramp. We got on the interstate. Everybody was feeling good. And all of a sudden, we had to merge to the right. Went right back down the same ramp again, right down to those streets, and we made a loop around the Superdome. Man, I don't know how many times we did that before Dad had enough guts to pull off and ask somebody where we were and how to get there. This was pre-GPS, beloved. We were on our own. We stopped at this little service station. A man gave us very detailed directions, which sounded to me a lot like what we had just done. Uh, we headed down down the street from that service station, made a U-turn, I never shall forget it, at the Purple Cat Lounge. I told you it was a different kind of city. We made a little U-turn at the Purple Cat Lounge, went back up, went on the same ex on, on the same ramp, up on the same interstate, merged back off again, went right back to the same gas station with the same guy and asked him again what we did wrong. He did his best to describe it to Dad, sounded again like the same thing to me. Went down to the Purple Cat Lounge, made a U-turn up on the interstate, down, right back to that service station. When we rolled down the ramp, the man was on the sidewalk doing this. He was just doing this right here, like, don't bother stopping. I've told you all I can tell you. You're on your own. I was laughing so hard, I'm just honest with you. I had my face buried in a pillow. It was pre-seatbelt, too. I was in the floorboard trying to not to laugh out loud. Why? Because Dad would have killed me. What I thought was entertaining, he was not enjoying as much as I was in those moments. We finally got on the interstate and headed out, man, and, and it wasn't very long before I realized something. Yes, we were on and going somewhere, but we were going the entirely the wrong direction. And, man, I waited for the opportune time to point this out to Dad. I, I just mentioned to him, I said, Dad, I don't know. I mean, you're driving. I don't know. But I feel like we're headed the wrong direction. He said, Son, I know it, but I'm not stopping anywhere that I can't see how to get off and how to get back on this interstate. If we have to drive clean to Texas, I'm going this direction right here. You know what I said? No more, beloved. I just sat in the back and enjoyed the ride. All of us need a, a little bit of direction sometimes in our lives. And man, I'm here to tell you, we have someone in our life who is the best in the world at directing people. 
You ought to write this down. Sometimes you feel as though you're wandering. Sometimes you, you think no turn you make in life is helping. Sometimes there seems to be no way to get out of where you are and to get headed where you want to go. And there's apparently no one or no thing around who can give you sound direction. But folk, there is one who loves you. There is one who's watching over you. There's one who's steering your life and the path that He intends you to walk. And His name is Jehovah God. He is Lord of this universe and He is Lord of your life. And He is directing you through every circumstance. He is directing you through every trial. He is directing you through every test. You ought to write this down. There is no one like Him at directing people. There's nobody like Him at it. He can do it better than anyone in this universe. And rest assured today, if you love Him, if you belong to Him, I'm going to recant the words of the psalmist, the steps of a godly man, someone who belongs to Him, someone whose heart's desire is to get where He wants you to be. You can be sure that every step you take is ordered by His good right hand. Why does He use trials? How does He use trials? Well, He directs us, brothers. They're part of His tools, sisters. I want you to say, you say, how does He do it, Pastor? How does He direct you? Well, I want to mention three ways quickly and focus on the last one. Number one, he uses truth to direct you. In the midst of your trial, he'll use truth to direct you. He'll use the Word of God to speak into your place and into your moment and into your circumstance. How many of y'all have ever been a place in your life where you just didn't know which way to turn? You didn't know what you were going to do. You'd counseled everybody in the world. And you began to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit what to do. And he pointed you to a passage of Scripture. And you said, yeah. I get it. I get it. He uses truth in your moment, in your circumstance. He always uses the Word of God. You need some direction? Begin to look into His Word. He uses what I call also the tug to direct us. Not only does He use truth, He uses the tug to direct us. He uses that still, small voice of His. In the midst of life's chaos and in the midst of life's uncertainty and in the midst of those places that you just can't see even to take the next step, you begin to be quiet and be still and listen and you'll hear His still, small voice speak into that moment in your life. And He'll say, here it is, son, walk, walk this way. Here it is, Stacy, this is what I need you to do. Here it is, man, I love you and I'm, I'm giving you the next step and then I'll give you the next step. And then I'll give you the next step. He uses that tug. His still, small voice. I have people say to me sometimes, what does his voice sound like, Pastor? I've never heard his voice in my life. I've come to learn that his voice sounds a lot like the voice of my wife. How many of y'all understand? It really does. Sounds a lot like her voice in my life. And that's a good thing, man. It's wise. It's clear. It's tactful. It's loving. It's kind. And beloved, make no mistake, and you can tell her I said this, it's correct. It's always right. Seemingly what she says in my life is right all the time. And I've learned to do well to pay attention to it. That's the voice of the Lord in your life. Man, it's, it's wise. It's clear. It's tactful. It's loving. It's kind. And it's correct. The tug of His voice, man, is strong in the heart of His child. You can't avoid it and you can't get away from it. There's been times in my life I would have liked for Him to be a little quieter than he was in those moments. But thanks be unto God, he kept speaking and got me where I needed to go. He uses the truth of his word. He uses the, the tug of his voice. But today, uh, we're going to focus in on what I've introduced. He uses trials. He uses those tests. He uses those tribulations to direct you. You ought to write this down. The pressure of life situations 
are often the thing that you need to get you going where God is, is leading you. It's often that pressure of life situations that makes you make that turn, make that change, do that thing that God's asking you to do. Somehow, because my daughters love them, I got in the, in the horse business some, some time back. Man, I, I don't know a lot about a horse. I always thought you guided a horse by the reins. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, they put them on and put the bit in their mouth, and you use the reins to tell him which way you want him to go and when you want him to stop. And there's some measure of truth to that. But as my youngins got to taking horse lessons, and I would go and listen to their instructor, I, I marveled at some of the things that she would say to them. One of the things I couldn't understand for a long time is when they were making a turn, she'd say, Rachel, put a little left leg on him. Put a little more left leg on him. Or when Riley was making a turn, she might say, Hey, stand in that right stirrup just a little more. A little more right leg. A little more right leg. A little more right leg. And I figured, what difference does that make? I thought you were supposed to balance on this thing. Lord knows every horse I've ridden, I've had a handful of mane, a handful of reins, and I've been mashing with both legs just as hard as I possibly could trying to stay on. She was saying a little more. And then I asked her one day, I said, what? what does that mean? And she said, well, a horse will always, and I've never forgotten this. She told me a paradigm. She said, a horse always moves away from pressure. And when you begin to put a little right leg, a little pressure, not much, doesn't take much, just a little pressure on the right side, he's going he's gonna to go left. And when you begin to put a little pressure on his left side, he's, he's going to begin to go right. In the old cowboy movies, I always heard them scream, Giddy up, you know, jump on. Giddy up, go. I've tried that on horseback rides before. They don't pay me any attention. I also learned that, that double pressure means go. When you put pressure on both legs at the same time, just a little bit, that means I'm ready to go. Move forward a little bit. He'll move away from that pressure you're putting on him with both legs. If you want to go up a gear, I've never experienced this. Man, I'm trying to gear down. When I'm on a horse, I like to crawl, man. That's what I like. But if you want to go up a gear, if you want to trot, or if you want to canter, or if you want to gallop, every time you train a horse, every time you squeeze, he goes up a gear. So it's all done with pressure, and horses move away from pressure. You see, in our life, aren't we the same way? When pressure comes, you know what I try to find? How can I get away? How can I get out of this moment? And God uses that tendency in our life and applies the pressure and use the pressure in the right ways to direct the path that you're walking down. He uses the stuff that's in your life. He uses those trials and tribulations. All of us have a personal example in our lives, don't we? of God using a circumstance, a situation, something that you wouldn't have liked in your life, something that you hated in the moment, but when you get down the road, you look back, and what do you say? Wow, God was in that. I see why that happened in my life now, because I would have never moved any other way. I would have never taken another step. I would have been very comfortable right there. And I can see that God used this trial. He used that job loss. He used that transfer. He used that family situation. He even used that health issue. He used that opportunity that you thought was clear that just didn't pan out. He, he used that time when the only avenue you had, the only open door you had was this. He used that pressure to get you go through it. He even used that terrible decision you made in your life. That thing that you should have never done. He even used that in your life to apply the pressure and to use it to move you. He used that mistake. Man, the loss in your life. Everything that you can imagine. I, I can go personal example after personal example in my own life and look back and say, wow, God, those things that I didn't understand you were using to get me up to a place I never would have been if those things weren't in my life. 
And God uses these trials. He uses them to direct you. If you back in Genesis, we're going to read a little bit. A personal example is good. And I challenge you today. Man, fold back in your life and write one down somewhere. Something that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind and says, Look, I used that in your life. You didn't like it at the time, but I used that in your life to get you where I needed you to be. I want to use a scriptural, a patriarchal example in the life of Joseph, if you will. One of the many examples uh, in the scripture of God working through the pressure to get people where he needs them to be and to direct their lives. And as we read this passage, I want you to note that God was in it. And Joseph making this final statement here at the end of a long run, sees all the purpose for the first time, sees all the reason for the first time. And man, here's what he understands, that God intentionally did everything that happened to him in his life. God intentionally used those things in his life to get him where he needed to be. Let's begin to read. Genesis chapter 50. Did I tell you Exodus? No. Genesis chapter 50. Sometimes the pastor's mind wonders. God even uses that, this old mental disability to make me depend on him. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 17. We're going to read down through verse 21. It reads this way. All these boys here, they're wondering what to say to Joseph. And it says this, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now. What do they have to ask forgiveness for a lot? The trespasses of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee, what's that word? Evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of thy servants, of, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spoke unto him. This messenger came and gave him this message. And his brethren also went and fell down uh, before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, I've been waiting for this opportunity for a long time. Because you've done a lot to me in my life. And man, I've been waiting for the day that I could reap a little revenge and a little recompense in your life. He didn't say that. He said unto them, Don't be afraid. Or am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought, you meant this for evil against me. But God meant it. He used it. He worked it unto my good. To bring to pass, as it is this day, not only my good, but to save much people alive. Verse 21. Now therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish ye and your little ones. And look at this ministry. This is ministry. And he comforted them. And he spoke kindly unto them. We see that God, maybe he didn't cause all this. He didn't. But he certainly used all of it. Everything that had ever happened in Joseph's life to get him to this moment in time. He ordered his steps. He directed him at every hand's turn. Four notes. And I'm going to try to flesh this story out a little bit as we go. And I'm going to go quickly. Number one, God directed him at every hand's turn. And it didn't even matter who the perpetrators were. Evil had been done unto Joseph, he admits it. The perpetrators admit they did him evil. They meant to do him harm. In the beginning, they plotted to murder him. And one of his big brothers stood up and said, let's don't do that. Man, we can't go that far. And he dissuaded them from it. And man, God used them. And Joseph says, but as for you, man, you meant this for evil. Who was the you? It's important to understand who the you was that he was talking about. He wasn't speaking to enemies. He wasn't speaking to strangers. He was speaking to his family. Beyond that, he was speaking to the people of God. 
He was saying, you people, the people that, that, that I thought would love me most, you people who are my family physically and spiritually, you're the ones that meant this evil in my life. I wrote this down. Often, the greatest pressure comes from the place that we least expect it. Often, the greatest pressure in your life comes at the time and from the people and in the place that you least expect it. It's that, it's that people you think, man, they're with me, they're for me, they love me, they're never going to do anything in my life. Oftentimes, it's those people and those places that the greatest pressure comes from in your life. I read a story of a comedian, a very famous comedian, who one of his fans, one of her fans, actually gave her a, a, a unique gift, a very small alligator as a present. Man, they just wanted to give her something different, something that she had never received from a fan, so they gave her a very small alligator. She didn't quite know what to do with such a gift. She took it home, didn't have any place. How many of y'all got a, an alligator cage at your house? I sure don't. I mean, if I took one home today, I don't know what I'd do with an alligator. Well, this comedian decided the best thing she could do in the moment was just fill the bathtub up with water, put it in there, close the door until she figured out uh, something better to do with this little small alligator. As it would have it, she left, went to town, and while they were gone, the maid showed up and started cleaning. Well, man, when they got back, they found a note from this maid, and it read this way. It said, I'm sorry, but I cannot work for you anymore. You see, I do not do houses that have alligators in them. And she went on to say this, I would have surely told you this up front before I I took the job, but truthfully, I just never really expected it to come up in my work. Never thought I'd see an alligator in your bathtub. Didn't think to cover that in the agreement when we were talking up front. And man, sometimes the greatest pressure comes from the place that you never think about it coming from. Sometimes it comes from the place in your life that you least expect it. Listen, the Word tells us that those brothers begin to hate Joseph. Those brothers begin to be jealous of him. And they lured him out. I don't believe he thought for a minute that this was what was going to happen. But they lured him out, took his coat of many colors that his daddy had given him, contemplated killing him, but instead, at Reuben's advice, they threw him in the pit and ultimately sold him to, to end the slavery, never, never thinking they'd ever see him again, and went back and told their daddy that he was just dead. And man, Joseph, as he was riding down that road, had to be thinking, I never, I never expected that. I never saw that coming. Never did. And sometimes in your life, it's going to be that thing you never saw coming that God's going to use to direct you. It's going to be that thing you never expected. Often the greatest trials you'll ever face, perpetrated by the least likely candidates and the least likely moments, in the least likely ways, let me give you a truth. God doesn't care who. He doesn't care what. He doesn't care where. He doesn't care when. And he doesn't care how. He doesn't get frustrated, rattled, confused. He's not surprised. Joseph might have been. God wasn't. He knew that it was coming. And beloved, he uses every circumstance in your life to get you where you need to be. It does not matter the perpetrators. The second note I want to give you today, and what I want you to see, it didn't matter their purposes. It didn't matter who the perpetrators were. God still worked in, in, in Joseph's life to get him where he needed him to be. It didn't even matter what their purposes were. You know, sometimes things in life just make no sense. 
Sometimes you look at a situation and go, what in the world? That just makes no sense. I got something from, a, from an army manual here, just a little quote. I thought it was interesting. It was about tent pegs. It read this way. It said, tent pegs, aluminum, describes them well, nine inches, gives the NSN number 8340-00-261-9749. It says, must be painted orange. The bright color provides an easy means of locating the pegs under various light and climatic conditions during field use. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Hey, bright colored pegs, drive them in the ground. You won't trip over them that way. You can see where they are. The next statement is what, I, is what really catches you. When bright orange pegs are used, they must be driven into the ground completely to be out of sight. I mean, hey, do you see hey, use them so you'll see them and won't trip over them. But when you're using them, drive them all the way down in the ground so you can't see them. I mean, hey, does that make any sense? Sometimes life is just that way. It just doesn't make any sense anywhere on any hand's turn. And man, sometimes I look at this story of Joseph. He had to be saying, why in the world did they do that? This doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, what did I deserve, do to deserve that kind of treatment? How many of y'all have ever uttered that phrase or thought it? What in the world did I do to deserve this in my life? I didn't do anything that I'm aware of to them, and yet here I am on the end of persecution from people that I thought loved me. Man, God uses these pressures and tests to get you where He needs you to be, the moment that He needs you to be there, and, and, and to do the things that He intends you to do. Sometimes it isn't going to make sense in your life. Sometimes you're not going to be able to weigh it out with your logic and see why this is the way and why this is the thing has to happen. Sometimes it's just not going to make any sense, but rest assured, God is not rattled by that. He doesn't care if it makes sense or not. He knows what to do and what's best in your life. And He seizes those opportunities and uses those things uh, to direct you. The perpetrators did not matter. Their purposes did not matter. Man, I can tell you why these boys did this. It says it. They meant to do Him evil. They disliked Him. They didn't want Him around anymore. He was Daddy's favorite boy. He was the fair-haired man. He did everything right. He was interpreting dreams for everybody. He had the spiritual connections. Man, God was mighty in his life. And man, as a side note, get ready. Because when God really begins to work in and through you in your life and begin to use you for his purposes and his giftedness begins to come out in your life, be ready. Because there's some people out there that are not going to like that. And you're not going to understand why they're doing it. But man, they're going to have a clear purpose. And that is to derail you, to depose you, to destroy your ministry. These boys meant evil. They did it out of jealousy. They did it because they hated him. And man, they wanted him gone from their lives. But he had to be thinking. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. God uses those things. Thirdly, it didn't matter the path. If you go back to chapter 37 in this book, you'll see it was a long journey. You'll see that he went through much things before he got to the place that God intended him to be and did the thing that God ultimately purposed for him from the beginning. You'll find that it wasn't a short journey. Now, sometimes in our life, the journey is short. But sometimes in our life, God often uses long, winding, and dangerous roads. 
Man, I, I've already told you the beginning of this story. The, the boys saw Jake, uh, Joseph's, Jacob's open love for Joseph, his favoritism. Man, they begrudged his giftedness spiritually as he began to prophetically interpret dreams and visions and, have, and see the things that they couldn't. Man, they sold him down the river. I told you about that. But man, when he got down to Egypt, he met a, an Egyptian named Potiphar. Man, there he was, ended up being elevated in Potiphar's household to a supervisory capacity. And man, everything seemed to be going good. Looked like the roller coaster was heading up then Potiphar's wife saw him and thought man that's a good looking dude right there man I, I don't know how he got here or what way he came but man I, I, I'd like to get to know him just a little better so here she finds a, a place to try to try to lure him into a, into a compromising situation what does Joseph do man when she comes after him he did the sound and the logical thing he just ran man he just left the place left the premises went out absolutely innocent nothing happened but man because of who she was and the place she held, he finds himself on the bottom of the roller coaster again in a prison somewhere. You think the story's over. He had to be thinking again, man, I thought I could see what God was doing, yet here I am again in a prison cell somewhere. I don't understand all this. Man, a couple of prisoners have some dreams. He begins to interpret them. Man, the king himself has some dreams some two years later. And they say, hey, there's a dude down in prison that can interpret dreams. And he said, well, go get the guy and bring him up here. Long story short, he interprets the king's visions. Man, he begins as a, as a lowly old cupbearer in the king's house, but eventually he's, he, by his wisdom and man, his advice to the king, he's elevated, the word tells us, to the place where he was second in command only to the king himself. And what a long, perilous, winding, dangerous road that must have been. But we see that God was in every part of it. He was using every bit of it for this moment in time that I read to you. Man, it doesn't matter what the journey is. I sometimes look at Joseph's story and I, I have to catch myself uh, and blame myself for thinking I've had a rough stretch in life somewhere. This boy went through it. And yet God was using every bit of it to get him to this place in life. Lastly, I want you to see this. It doesn't matter the perpetrator's it doesn't matter the purposes. It doesn't matter the path that you're walking on in life. God's going to use it to get you there. What does matter is this. The place of your ministry. What God was doing in Joseph's life was getting him to a place of ministry. He was getting him to a place to use him. He was getting him to an appointed time to use him. Yes, for Joseph's good, but ultimately for the for the good of the ones who sold him into slavery and wanted to kill him. Ultimately, for the good of an entire nation. I, I love uh, verse 20. He says, as for you, you thought evil against me. You hated me. You envied me. You were jealous of me. You sold me down this long and arduous path. When you read it with this context, it makes sense. But God was in control of it. What you did for evil, God used for good. Not only my good, He used it for your good. To bring to pass this very day and this very hour where I would be able to save your lives by feeding you. Because there's a 
famine in the land of Canaan. There's no food. I've advised a king to save up a bunch of grain. And here I'm the one in charge of the distribution of this grain. And there would have been nobody else in the world if that had showed up in Egypt would have helped them except that little boy that they'd sold into slavery so many years ago. And what mattered in all of this was that God had a plan. God had a purpose. God had a place of ministry for Joseph in his life. And he used every pressure, every trial, every test, and every tribulation to get him to this place to allow him to minister mightily for the glory of God and the good of everyone involved. I wrote this down. If ever a man in the Bible had a divine destiny, Joseph did. Joseph did. I'm going to tell you, woman of God, man of God today, the same is true for you. Everybody in here today, under the sound of my voice, anybody watching on the internet today, God has a divine destiny for you. He has a place of ministry for you. He got Joseph here to feed people. And man, I love the ministry in verse 21. To comfort people. Even the, the young children that they brought with him. There was Joseph, second in command, ministering in the lives of these people. God has a divine destiny for you. And let me let you in on something. It isn't to make you rich. Oh, he might do that along the way. It isn't so to elevate you. It really wasn't about Joseph being in the second command. But he might do that as long as it's in conjunction with his ministry plan and the destiny that he has for your life. He's always about getting you to a place where you can glorify him through what you do and bring good into the lives of others. It's all about using you to minister for the kingdom's glory on this planet. He has a divine destiny for you. And everything that you've ever gone through in life, everything that you're going through in this moment, everything that you'll ever face in the days ahead is aimed at one thing. It's aimed at God using them to direct you. To direct you to the place that He has for you. To do the ministry that He's ordained for you. If you say, Pastor, people, you don't understand. People are against me, Pastor. That doesn't bother God. He can use that. You say, oh, pastor, you don't understand. These people are not nice people. Their purposes are evil. And man, they're, they're on every hand's turn trying to stab me in the back, trying to get rid of me at the job, trying to, man, trying to, to move me on down the road. Let me tell you something. That doesn't matter. God is still using those pressures in, in your life. The path, pastor, I've been on this a long time. I, I, I've been on this journey so long I forgot where it started. And I don't know that I can see the end of it. Let me tell you, that doesn't matter. God is using it in your life to get you to a place of ministry, using all that to direct you. In closing, I'm going to give you a note. Joseph arrived at that place not knowing the reason until they walked down the road. He arrived at that place. He took all that journey not knowing the reason. Until it appeared before him. But the one thing he did know all along. Was that his heavenly father knew. And he was using everything. Everything. Every bit of it. To get him to that place. That moment in time. You want to survive the blast. When things are going nuts in your life. You want to survive it. You want to make it through. And you have to have this heart of Joseph to be able to say, Listen, Father, 
I trust you that you ordered my steps. I trust you that you're going before me. I, I trust you that you're using every bit of this. And the last part of that verse in Psalms, and I delight, I delight in that truth that you're getting me there through every one of these things. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are and remind you. What does he use? Well, he uses truth to direct you. He does. He uses his word. Man, he uses the tug to direct you. He uses that still, small voice in your life. He uses those. But I wonder sometimes if he doesn't just as mightily and sometimes more use those trials, those tests, and those tribulations. He'll use them to, to set you for the ministry. I've got to be honest with you. There are some things in my life that I, I used to believe even and used to cling to. And, and man, I would have wore you out if you'd have told me God could do anything other than that, that thing and that way. And man, he's put me through the ringer to prove to me that he can do anything, any way that he desires to do it. Folks, he's using things. I'm going to challenge you today. Would you pray a two-fold prayer with me right now? If, if, how many of y'all would say, uh, would pray today, God, would you use these trials? Would you use these tests? Would you use these things in my life today to get me where you need me to go? How many of y'all would lift your hand before him and say, God, use these things. Use them. Use them to pressure me. Help me to use them to get me on that path and into that place of ministry. This is a bigger prayer. Pray, Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to trust you. Man, when I don't see how in the world you could use it in my life, help me to trust you. Help me to trust you. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828 628 1188